A couple of years ago, we had a conference called Encounter. We encountered the God of the Bible through different stories of women in the Old Testament. Starting this month, we'll be listening to those messages, learning about who God is, His character, the essence of His deity, through the narrative of three unlikely women. You're listening to the Bloom Podcast. At Bloom, we're passionate about women growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I'm your host, Jennifer Robinson, for August 4th, 2023. In part one of this series, you will hear a talk from me. I spoke on one of my favorite books in the Old Testament that wasn't exactly a fairy tale love story but points to God's redeeming love for us. This is the story of Gomer and how we encounter God as our Redeemer. Hi, ladies. So my name is Jen Robinson. I'm the director of the women's ministry here at Grace. And I'm really excited to share with you one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. So today's resounding theme has been understanding the God of the Bible the very essence of his character and who he is revealed in his word. So as I said, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in the book of Hosea. I feel like it's a story that doesn't get a great deal of attention. If you turn to your Bibles, your physical Bibles, to the book of Hosea, you might find that the pages stick together just a little bit because I doubt that you've probably spent a whole lot of time in there before. But the story found in the first three chapters of Hosea is, in my opinion, the most beautiful love story ever written. It's a story of unconditional love, sacrifice, and redemption. Now, I love the Old Testament. I am thankful to be a New Testament believer, but I love the Old Testament. I love the backdrop that it provides for us. I think that scripture reads like a story, and the Old Testament is like a foreshadowing of what's coming in the New Testament. Every story pointing to Jesus. If we look closely, we see evidence of Christ coming long before the Gospels. And in writing his story, I think what God wanted to convey through the book of Hosea was a beautiful foreshadowing of the redemptive work that he had prepared in advance through his son as well as his relationship with his people. So we're gonna meet a woman named Gomer. Gomer was by no means a woman who you would find listed among the great women of the Bible. You probably haven't done a Bible study on Gomer before. She doesn't join the ranks of honorability like Ruth and Abigail, like we talked about earlier. Gomer was a prostitute. And her story is marked by her wandering heart and her idolatrous affections. Gomer's story is not your typical romantic love story. Unlike stories that we've read as little girls, this leading lady is not someone who is both lovable and loyal. Gomer's not someone we would probably say we relate to, at least not at first glance. And she's not someone that we'd say we'd wanna emulate. But what makes her story so beautiful, in my opinion, has very little to do with who Gomer is, this unfaithful prostitute, and everything to do with how her story shows us more of who God is, his love for his people, for you and for me. So we're gonna dive right in together and we're gonna see how we encounter God's redeeming character through the story of Gomer. 
In Hosea chapter one, God speaks to his prophet saying to him, go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. All stories begin with an introduction and that is quite the introduction, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I was never read a story as a little girl that began with once upon a time, a local prophet married a prostitute. So if you're like me, you're probably curious to the obvious question at hand. Why would God choose Hosea, a holy man, a prophet, to marry Gomer? It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to us. And I would imagine that it stirred up a lot of controversy and a lot of conversation around the people those days. You can almost imagine what people must have thought or said about Hosea. But Hosea chooses to obey God and he marries Gomer, even though he knows that she's going to be painful to love and she's gonna become unfaithful to her marriage vows. Now in chapter one, we learn that Gomer has three children. And I'm not gonna linger here too long, but I wanted to talk about the names of Gomer's children because they're all significant in seeing who, how God's relationship was with his people, as well as providing a prophetic warning to Israel. So Gomer's first child was a son named Jezreel. And the name Jezreel means God sows. God specifically told Hosea to name him Jezreel after the Jezreel Valley, which is located in the Northern District of Israel. And the purpose behind this is because Jezreel was once this beautiful, fertile plain, but over time it had become ravaged by countless battles. And so what God was saying through this name was that Israel too had this beautiful, undivided relationship with God, but over time it had become corroded by sin and idolatrous worship. One of the greatest themes of the Old Testament shows us that God's people often suffered from what I like to call spiritual amnesia. They forgot about who God was and what he had done for them. And they had become allured by and adopted pagan practices of surrounding nations. They turned their back on the true God to pursue the empty promises of false gods. And likewise, we see that Gomer does the exact same thing. She falls into desiring from these lovers instead of her husband, Hosea. It's a mirror image of Israel's pattern of unfaithfulness. Now it is believed that the second and third children that Gomer conceived do not belong to Hosea, which signifies God's command that he was going to take an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. And the second child that she conceived was a daughter named Lo-Ruhamah, now the word Ruhama refers to God's tender mercy. That's a beautiful name. But the negative prefix lo means no mercy. So it signified that God was going to be sending a forthcoming judgment on Israel because they had broken their covenant to stay faithful to him. You see, God had not changed, but Israel had. The message relayed here is a warning to Israel because Israel had run to other empty sources to satisfy their desires. Now the third child that Gomer conceived was a son named Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And I think that is probably the most devastating name yet. And God was once again saying that he was warning Israel that he was going to reject them if they don't turn from their sinful ways. You see, Israel had basically become an adulterous nation. 
A nation who was once chosen by God as his special possession had become, in essence, a harlot. They defiled themselves by succumbing to the practice of false worship. In other words, we could say that sin separated God from his people. But even despite Israel's estrangement to God, God speaks words of his plan of restoration and redemption. In chapter one, it ends with these hopeful covenant words from God. It says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. God had a plan to bring his people back to himself. If we move into the second chapter of Hosea, we read about the account of God dealing with his unfaithful people. Hosea chapter two, verse two says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and let the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. Now, in order to understand the significance of this punishment, we have to understand adultery and the practice of the law within the context of ancient Near Eastern times. Now, adultery was considered a crime in Israel and it was punishable by execution. And part of that practice oftentimes involved taking the adulterous woman and stripping her down completely naked in preparation for stoning. And the intended purpose behind this was so that she could be exposed and humiliated for the shameful sin that she had committed. And so this is what God was saying through Hosea. He was going to strip the land bare and expose them for their wayward ways and make them a desert wasteland. You see, for Israel, God was not enough. Israel desired something else, and therefore they chose to continue pursuing their idolatrous lovers, just as we see Gomer do the same and run off and chase her lovers. The ones that she thought would provide for her, more of the things that this humble prophet Hosea couldn't give her, her jewelry and her fine wines. And she abandoned her husband and her children to pursue the pleasures of these other men. We read continuing in verse five. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So God said, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. Now, according to cultural practice, if Hosea chose to, expo to expose and stone Gomer for the sin that she had committed, he was well within his rights to do so. And yet God chose to use Hosea as a foreshadowing of the gospel. Even though Gomer deserved to be stoned, technically, according to the law, not to be forgiven, God said, I want you to take this unfaithful wife and you're going to forgive her. God wanted to use Gomer ultimately as a symbol of his bride, his people, and part of his plan to redeem them and call them back to himself. God said in Hosea 2:14, "Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will speak I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her." 
you scroll down to verses 19 and 20, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So God could have written Israel off for good. He was well within his rights to do that. But instead he chose to rewrite their story. Even though Israel had been unfaithful to God, God could not deny himself of who he is. And that's the beauty of God's unchanging character. He can't stop being God. Even though we fall short to holding up our end of the covenant, he still has to remain faithful to his. And so he promised to redeem his people and restore them back into a loving relationship with him. In fact, his plan all along, as far back as the garden, was to reconcile us back to him. You see, God gave Adam and Eve the perfect place. He gave them Eden, and it was a home for them to experience a perfect relationship with him. But then sin entered the picture when Eve took of the fruit that the serpent gave her. Her heart wandered away from what God had already given her, and she desired something else. Now, just like an adulterous woman was stripped down and exposed for her sin and her shame, we see the same thing happen in the garden. Once Adam and Eve allowed sin to enter into God's perfect world, they realized their nakedness. And so they hid themselves because now their sin had been exposed. You see, we've committed a crime against our maker and we were deserving of just punishment. But God said, this time, instead of punishing you, instead of banning you out of my presence like he did with Adam and Eve, he said, I'm going to pursue you and I'm gonna speak tenderly to you, words of grace and not of the law. God's desire was not to condemn us, but to redeem us. Gomer had run off to pursue what she thought she could only get from another relationship. But the short-sightedness of Gomer's plan backfired because you see, none of these other men had a binding covenant relationship with her, one that promised to always provide for her needs. And so once they kind of got from her what they needed, they were done with her. It was nothing compared to the covenant marriage that she had with Hosea on the day of their wedding. And so once again, after these lovers said, I've received everything I need from you and now I'm done from you, she had no way to provide for herself. And so we read that she ended up having to sell herself into slavery in order to provide for her means. Now, we might read that and we think that she's just reaping what she sows. She's getting just punishment for making that decision to leave Hosea and her family. And Hosea is better off without her anyway, right? I mean, he doesn't need her. But instead, God said, you're gonna be a picture of the gospel, Hosea. Instead of leaving her enslaved in her sin, you're going to go and you're gonna purchase her back. Purchase her back, his own bride, the one that already belonged to him. He said, you're going to redeem her and then you're gonna bring her back into a loving relationship with you. And we read about this beautiful reconciliation that Hosea has with his wife in Hosea chapter three. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man and I will live with you. Hosea buys Gomer back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. 
Do you ever come apart, across parts like this in scripture and you wonder, like, why is it there? Like, why did God feel the need to include the purchase price that Hosea paid for Gomer? Well, I think that everything that is in the Bible is incredibly intentional. So I decided to do a little bit of digging into the Old Testament. And I came across a passage in Exodus that said that the set price for a slave in those days was 30 shekels of silver. So why did Hosea only pay 15 shekels and a homer and a lethic of barley? Well, barley was a working class grain in those days. People of lower status ate barley because they couldn't afford the price of wheat. And so we can kind of begin to put the pieces together to conclude that Hosea was likely not a wealthy man according to the standards of that day. So the set price of a slave hadn't changed and Gomer was not worth less than any other slave. So what we find here instead is that this humble man, Hosea, is scraping together all he had in silver. I picture him checking the straw pillows and all the pockets of his tunics and he still didn't have enough to buy Gomer back. And so what he had to also do was give of his grain. And what does that tell us? It's again, an intentional foreshadowing. You see, Hosea didn't have enough silver, and so he had to add more in order to purchase her. In other words, we could say that it was an incredibly costly purchase for Hosea. It was a huge sacrifice to buy her back. He didn't have the means to just go and buy her. He had to really scrape everything he had. It cost him everything in order to redeem Gomer. Now, as I mentioned many times, the Old Testament provides a foreshadowing of Christ and we encounter an incredible foreshadowing in the book of John. If you wanna have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter eight. And we're gonna see this amazing encounter that Jesus has with another woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And I wanna see the beautiful parallels that we see compared to Hosea and Gomer's story. So John chapter eight, beginning in verse one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That was the NIV version. I love what the New King James Version says, though. When Jesus talks to the adulterer, he says, where are those accusers of yours? And I love that he used the word accuser because it's a very familiar name of the enemy of our soul, Satan. The first one who enticed Eve to sin it's that same sin that caused our world to break, the same sin that leads to separation from God. The accuser, the one who came to kill and steal and destroy, had a plan rooted in death from the very beginning in the garden. But God said, I have an even greater plan that's gonna wash away sin and defeat death for good. I want us to take a look too at what Jesus said to this woman's accusers. Let those without sin cast the first stone. 
Now, a lot of times we've read this and we've taken some different application, personal application, that none of us have the right to judge someone else. We don't have, we're not in the position to cast the first stone. And that's very true. But I think that we forget that what Jesus is also saying here is because by declaring those without sin cast the first stone, he's saying that because he is the only one that is sinless, he's actually the only one that has the right to cast the stone at her. He has the right to condemn her if he chooses. And just like we saw with Hosea and Gomer, Hosea had the right to expose and stone Gomer if he wanted to. And so did Jesus here. But aren't you glad Jesus chose not to stone her, not to condemn her? Instead, we see Jesus speak tenderly to her and he casts grace instead of a stone because he wanted to redeem her. John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save, to redeem the world through him. Matthew 20, 28 says, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many in order, in other words, to purchase us back. What makes Gomer's story qualify as one of the most beautiful love stories ever written is because it's also our story. Because of the fall back in the book of Genesis, you and I were born captives of sin, punishable by death, but God chose to rewrite the most everlasting redemptive narrative in all history through Christ. In the gospel message, God said, I'm not coming to punish you, I'm coming to pursue you. Just as Gomer already belonged to Hosea, God is saying, you've always been mine because I made you. I formed you in your mother's womb after all but sin separated you from me. So I'm going to purchase you back. I have the right to deal with you harshly, to cast you out of my presence forever, but instead I'm going to pay the debt you owe, the debt that you can't pay. And just like Hosea, it's going to cost me everything. Ladies, I am Gomer. I was once a slave to sin and I've been redeemed by Jesus. Sometimes I wonder, how could a good God love me so much? What did I do to deserve it? Jesus chose to cast grace on me when I deserved a stone. A God that loves beyond our shortcomings, our flaws, our failures, even our unfaithful wanderings, he chooses to pursue us with an overwhelming, unending, complete and perfect love a love that cost him everything. You see, Jesus didn't just lay down his rights, he laid down his very life so that we could have a new relationship with God, a restored relationship. And he even created a new covenant between him and his bride. One final thought I wanted to close with, we spoke a little bit about the meaning of names in the beginning with Gomer's children, but Gomer and Hosea's names also carry incredible significance. Now the Old Testament in the original language was written in the Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. Now Hosea's name in the Hebrew Bible is also the same name as Joshua, which means God is salvation. Ironically, as some people would say, or intentionally as I believe when it comes to God's word, when you translate that name into the Greek New Testament, it's the same as Jesus. In other words, Hosea was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Now, Our Lady Gomer, she has a very interesting meaning to her name too. Her name means completion. And again, I think it's a very intentional foreshadowing of God's complete redemptive work 
that he was preparing to do through his son. If we even just take a look at Christ's final words on the cross, he said, it is finished. Or in other words, we could say, it is complete. Even though we are a sinful bride, the character of God's faithfulness is that he is going to always remain faithful to his covenant. He's not gonna stop being who he is, even though we fall short a lot of times with our, with our ability to be able to please him. The narrative of the Bible tells us that he rewrote our story. It was a story once doomed for a tragic ending and he transformed it into a triumphant eternity. Now, ladies, I don't know where you stand today with God. You might be here as a seasoned believer or maybe you're a spiritual skeptic. But I want you to know that wherever you are, that you were bought at a price. It was a very costly price. God loves you and he desires an undivided relationship with you. In him, you are chosen, you are loved, and you are free from the bondage of sin. And you are a spotless bride because of the redeeming blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God to your covenant. Lord, even when we couldn't hold up our end of the bargain and that we always became unfaithful and we wandered and we sinned against you, Lord, it didn't stop you from being who you are, the very essence of your character. Jesus, we thank you that you came to redeem us, that we were all entangled in sin and you came and purchased us back, made the most costly sacrifice that could ever be made so that we could have a restored relationship with you. I pray for these women that are in here today. God, those specifically who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would just meet them right where they are right now, that they would desire for you to come into their lives, to transform them, Lord, with your incredible power and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you chose to cast us with grace and not a stone. And Jesus, I pray, Lord, that for those that are in here and they, they are... Um, they've been redeemed. They've had a relationship. They've been walking with you. I thank you for that relationship, God. And I ask, Lord, that they would not ever forget the price that you paid for them. Not forget, Lord, that you purchased them at a costly price and that we have this beautiful ability to be able to go and tell others about the beautiful gift and the free gift that we've been given. Lord, I thank you again for these beautiful ladies here today. And thank you, more importantly, that you are an incredible faithful, good God. Amen. It's an unlikely story full of betrayal and brokenness, but also filled with covenant beauty and blessing. I hope you enjoyed studying the story of Gomer and witnessing how God is our redeemer. Next month, we're encountering God's omniscience through the story of Abigail. Please join us back. In the meantime, keep growing and God bless. Thank you.